This is Mo Maduro with the Life Expansion After 50 podcast. Today is part two in the level setting. And if you haven't heard the part one of this, then I would recommend going back and listening to that so it makes sense because I'm going to jump right in where we left off. We were on number 12. We were talking about energy, emotions as energy and motion, how we want to let those process through. We don't want to suppress even the negative ones because it limits our ability to experience the positive ones. And again, do you agree, disagree, or unsure? And I'm giving you some of the books so that you can do your own research. 90 Seconds to a Life You Love is on the one on emotions. Digestive System and Nutrients, that one was about the tube from the mouth to the anus and being, you know, the digestive system. And that one you can read about in The Biology of Beliefs by Bruce Lipton. And I would say in a lot of ways, he's the father of this whole genes and epigenetics because he was talking about it back in the 70s. Uh, he stumbled upon it doing some ex unrelated experiments. Everything is atoms. And if you understand molecular structures, you can form a hypothesis about why we are the way we are. So if everything is atoms, and I'm not going to get too deep into that, but you know, this thing about the atom is 99.999% possibility and only 0.000001% matter. And so if you look at it like that, that what we really have is this vast possibility, but because we do things by habit over and over and over, we keep getting the same thing. When I was learning this, experimenting with this and trying different things, here's how I experienced it. Let's say that you're Tetris. You're the game Tetris. You're on the Tetris side. You're not the player. And you're on Tetris and you're, you're, you are Tetris and you're building a wall. You know you got to have a wall built in certain shapes. You have a vision for this wall and you're throwing blocks in there and every block you throw in there, the player's just knocking them down, knocking them down. You can't get a line. And then all of a sudden you get a line in this hope but then knocks it down. This is how it felt going through, I call it crossing the river. This is literally how it felt. You just keep doing, if you feel like the floor is getting higher but you're not really seeing material gains or benefits. And then all of a sudden you see a line in Tetris, right? As Tetris, you get a line. It's skipping down, but you maintain that one line. And then all of a sudden you're maintaining two lines and you know where I'm going with this. And then all of a sudden the third line comes a little easier. Now you got a fourth line. And then by the time you get to that fifth and sixth line, now it's starting to come fast and there's no stopping. It's a and the wall is built. That's how it felt. And had I not been committed, and that's why I think purpose is so important when you're crossing the river going through this work, because you have to be able to hang in there and you have to have a reason to hang in there, even in the absence of any encouragement. But then once the wall starts getting built, then you realize, wow, this stuff works. And, you, and then you start to see other things. The point being, if we're all atoms and you have these things in nature, you can look at like trees. You plant a tree and the tree is, nothing happens, but it's building, it's growing roots. It's pushing the roots down. There's a certain plant, I forgot what the name of it is, but it spends literally years pushing the roots down into the ground and then it just springs up. Uh, it says like 90% of its growth in one year versus seven years is just dormant, but it's not dormant. It's building the roots. Very, very similar. A lot of answers are in nature. So come up with your own point of view, develop a hypothesis, and then test it out. Conditioning, age zero to seven. Now, it's interesting because animals, other animals, they have instincts. Instincts are passed down. But because as humans, as hunter-gatherers, we were going to be living in all different parts of the earth. We get downloaded the program for where we live, and that download comes from our environment. So from zero to seven, we're operating the first couple of years is even in delta, and then theta, and then alpha. 
which is basically like a hypnotic state. And so we're able to just absorb everything that's around us. That's, you know, kids learn to read by being read to. They, they learn the norms, or the socialization process. All of that happens just from being around. That's why there's a lot of talk about, you know, what, what's the impact of this on the socialization process with kids being out of school from the pandemic. I teach seven and eight-year-olds at church, you know, for Bible school. And it's one of the conversations that we have because some of the socialization just got missed. These kids were five and six years old during the pandemic. They they didn't get to be outside with other kids. Anyway, just a, a, a data point. Zero to seven were downloaded. And then from eight to like 19, there's a resetting, a tweaking. Uh, and, and by the way, on the zero to seven, that child has to be a producing member of the tribe by eight years old. They're going to be hunting and gathering, so they need to know how to get along. They get their norms, and it's all coming in from the environment. And then from 9 to like 18, there's some tweaks because now the teenager can make some conscious choices. That's where they start to go off into the paths of what they're good at. And we see that happening today, right? The, they gravitate towards the things where they're good. There's an intersection of passion and skill set. And then from 19 to 26, the prefrontal cortex, which I understand was at least somewhat there, but now it really does most of its formation from 19 to 26. As a matter of fact, 20% of the uh, neurons are actually thought to be in the prefrontal cortex. And the prefrontal cortex is focused on, it's called the executive functions, but I say plan, organize, direct, and control, but also risks. The, the 18 or 19-year-old, when they do a stunt or something, they don't see the danger. They don't, and the, the adult, the 35- or 40-year-old person standing by is looking at the broken glass, they're looking at the pole, they're looking at the curb. And why are you doing a stunt here? Isn't there a safer place to do a stunt? We see that in the motorcycle world a lot, too. As you get older, you start to see the risks out there. So zero to seven is huge. And with the majority of the conditioning coming from zero to seven, we're now playing out that program, which was designed to deal with tigers on the Serengeti. And we're having to deal with it just on getting through life. The prefrontal cortex completes formation from about 19 to 26. And the significance there is that if you look at it from the brain development standpoint, we're in a constant upward trajectory from zero all the way up to like 26, 27. Every year, you're better than the last. Skills, knowledge, ability, strength, speed, whatever it is, every year, better and better and better and better. And then 27, 28, you start to level off. And by the time you're 35, you, you see all the risks. You're not getting the bang for the buck anymore. Before 26, if you just showed up, you were going to have some good days. And the good days outnumbered the bad days because we were always getting better. Every day we got better. But now at 30, 35, that's not true anymore. You've leveled off, and now you're starting to see some bad days. And remember the, and we remember the bad days, and it makes it harder to press forward. 95% of the time we're operating from the unconscious. You've heard me say that before. 95% of everything we do is done by habit. I think it's better to say 95% of the time is being driven by the unconscious. Even if you take that number and drop it to, to 60%, it's still a lot that the unconscious is driving. And I've said before, I don't want to turn everything over to the conscious mind. I want the unconscious to still be able to deal with the fishtail, blip on the downshift properly, skiing, trees, moguls. I, I don't want to have to relearn that every time. I want that muscle memory is there, so I, I want to have it. Even even deep practice. I, on my motorcycle course, we teach, I teach deep practice for accident avoidance. We want to build that muscle memory in 
before you need it. So when the emergency happens, your muscle memory is already there. Just like they're running back on a football field, they see the hole before they can even process, they've already made the move. The unconscious is actually hundreds of billions of neural pathways made up of neurons and neurotransmitters enabling them to communicate with each other. We have 100 billion neurons, about 86 billion are in the brain. As I mentioned, 20 billion or so are in the prefrontal cortex, so we didn't even have them until our, into our 20s. Each of those neurons interacts with anywhere from 1,000 to 10,000 other neurons with, through the synapsis, neurotransmitter. And when you look at it from a permutation standpoint, it's just off the chart. So to put it in perspective what 100 billion is, if you took 1,000 neurons every single day and took them out and put them into a different place, it would take you 273,000 years to move 100 billion neurons. In other words, that's a lot of neurons. And that's important because when we start looking at the neurons are really what's the, the unconscious, you understand why it's so difficult to get ahead of it. You understand, and if it's, a, it's 100 billion, the conscious mind doesn't stand a chance. So what we've got to do is get the conscious mind back in charge. And by having the conscious mind in charge, it's now putting those neurons in formation Part of that is coherence, and you're reducing the rigidity, you're reducing the chaos, and you're reducing the responses to fear because the conscious mind is in charge, and you're allowing the unconscious to do what it's supposed to do, which is remember how to blip properly on the downshift. Thought is energy. Thought comes from the mind. So you've heard this before. That at its most basic form, thought is the same as energy. The mind regulates energy, and the mind is where thought comes from. So this idea of thought in the, pr the powerful present moment, you want to have purity of thought. So you don't want your thoughts to be in the past, anxieties or worries of the future. You want to have a purity of mind because the mind is the problem-solving mechanism that we have. And then we want to have consciousness. And I would say consciousness is always pure. So you got consciousness, mind, and thought. And when you keep stringing moments together like that, of that powerful present moment, you're going to have a different life. But too often... We're contaminating those present moments with thoughts of the past, anxiety about the past, regret about the past, worry about the future. And then the mind is occupied because the unconscious is constantly battering you with different stimuli. What about this? What about that? That looks like a tiger. What about this? That's scary. And so the mind is occupied. The thoughts are negative, and the consciousness is left there to just hopefully you guys get your act together. We're going to work on that powerful present moment. That's a big part of it. If you believe the unconscious is made up of neural pathways, then you also have to accept that it doesn't produce thought. It produces associations. The mind forms thoughts from those associations. So it's the mind that directs the brain to create the chemical cocktail for the placebo to work or the nocebo. This is why I don't call the unconscious a mind, because those are associations, whereas the mind is actually able to relate the unrelated. The mind is actually able to put concepts together and derive points of view from, from arguments, whereas the unconscious, it's just firing and wiring and triggering and sending off information about the associations that are being made. Number 20. People, and remember, you're making a mental note, agree with it, disagree with it, or unsure. People are susceptible to hypnosis at different levels. I remember in, co in a college class, we had a hypnotist come in, and I volunteered to, hip to be hypnotized, and he did this little pre-exercise, and he, he didn't take me. And I talked to him after. He said, yeah, well, because you, you didn't 
go under in the pre-exercise. He did the pre-exercise to see the people who are most susceptible because he only had a small amount of time to work with and he needed people who are going to drop in very quickly. And that showed me right there that it's interesting that everybody's not susceptible to hypnotism at the same level or being hypnotized, which speaks to things like the law of attraction. And when a guru says, well, you do it this way, well, maybe that works for people who are more susceptible to hypnosis. The ones who are not, maybe they have to go through something different. That's why I made the comment that a vision board is not necessarily a powerful tool. It might be very powerful for some people, but for the analytical mind, a person with a very strong analytical mind or a critical thinker, they're going to be sorting that out. I know people who uh, could change the scale. They would change the scale. There's the old days where you had the dial scale and you could adjust the little knob and and they would actually make themselves feel better by making the scale start off at a negative five. And so then it made them look like they were five pounds lighter. And it just boggled my mind. How can you, how can you even form that sentence? Because you're looking at the thing. You said it to be negative five. How could it actually make you feel better when you see the number? It just, but, you know, that's why I said everybody is not the same. And so you got to remember that when you start looking at some of these quote-unquote solutions. Beliefs begin to form in childhood, and while they can change, we're generally resistant to changing beliefs. This is a powerful one because beliefs are difficult to change, but they can change, and it's a process to, to change them. Many of the beliefs that we have, we don't even know we have them. They're just associations, and those beliefs became habits and mindsets without having an understanding of how to change a belief. And I've made the comment before about going through the line. Before you get above the line, you're going to go through this period of uh, cognitive dissonance, because any breakthrough is preceded by some confusion, some dissonance, some discord, and it's the same with the belief. If you're going to change a belief, you're going to have some cognitive dissonance, this uneasiness. And I've learned, especially when crossing the river, I learned when it gets to be too much, you just check out, and you, you know, I don't watch TV anymore, but you just check out and, and go to bed, because, or take a walk, or just do something, forget about whatever it was, because you you're not going to get through that wall. Your neurons, I literally think of it as the neurons are just resorting themselves, letting some of the old ones go or the old synapses go and the new ones coming in. And by the way, neuroplasticity, which is the action of synaptogenesis, you know, re rewiring the neurons basically, sleep is an important part of neuroplasticity. And the more you're stretching your brain, the more you'll find that you need to rest. So I'm going to leave it there. We just hit number 21, and I'm going to go to 31 of these statements. So we're going to finish up on part three of this level setting. We'll see you next time.